Tamika Sims is one of those people you will gravitate to and call a friend after spending just one email with her. Her positive spirit is contagious and her courage is far reaching. As an entrepreneur, she has seen it all and then some. Her story is the backdrop of her new book, Ink Pen Diva, The Truth be Behind My Pen. She takes her story out of hiding and shares it so fellow entrepreneurs will not feel alone. She's an executive assistant at J. Halim LLC, a guest you met here on this broadcast in 2021. Tamika is also a book coach who has helped over 200 people tell their stories worldwide. Please welcome Tamika Sims. <laughs> that I'm smiling so big because that's probably the best introduction I've ever had. <laughs> Aww, I love you so much. Thank you. Yeah. That's the way that I want people to feel, whether they are in my presence virtually or in person. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're welcome. So what was it like growing up? I am from like the southeastern portion of South Carolina in the U.S. It was very small town. Everything that you imagine a small southern town to be, that's what it was. I came from very, very humble beginnings. My mom worked really hard. My dad was addicted to hard drugs. And a lot mm -hmm. of times that kept him away from my sister and I. I have a younger sister. And so that kept him away from us. He was in and out of jail. So you know, much of our upbringing, we were literally sort of responsive for ourselves. You know, I'm the oldest daughter. So I was basically looking out for my sister, making sure that we got homework done and all of those kinds of things. So, you know, latchkey kid, I don't know that they even use that term anymore today, but I was a latchkey kid and making sure that she and I got home and safe and did what we needed to do chores and all. So very humble upbringings. I grew up in an alley, a street between two streets. I don't know if you guys have those in Canada, but there was actually just this row of subsidized housing, very, very poor neighborhood, but it still had that family sort of atmosphere where people looked out for each other, but there was also alcoholism, there was domestic mm -hmm. violence, there was drugs all in that space. So I grew up really surrounded by those things. Did you have a lot of friends? <laughs> I think I used to be quiet by nature growing up. I'm not like that anymore, but by nature growing up, I was quiet. So I have like my one best friend that we've been friends since like third grade. And so that's been 30 something years at this point. No, but not really. It was really just my sister and I, there were a lot of mm -hmm. older, there were kids in the neighborhood that I grew up in, but they were much older than we were. We still played outside and did all of those things, but it was basically really just me and her growing up. And my dad and my mom weren't really the type of parents that allowed us to kind of go to different people's houses and do things like that. So my sister and I really came up together. We're only three years apart. I would say no to that question, but I have certainly developed and created better friendships as I've gotten older. <laughs> <clears throat> so do you have a before marriage lifeline and an after marriage timeline? like I do, or, <laughs> and only talk about the one side, like I do. <laughs> so I actually have never been married. Okay. Yeah. I've never been married. What, how I like to break my life up is 
pre-abusive relationship, right? So pre-domestic violence and then after domestic violence. And so pre-domestic violence, I've always been a very smart young lady. Like I'm a very fast learner. I've always loved reading and even loved writing since I was a little girl. So I was very much so into my studies. I was involved in all of the academic clubs, making the honor roll and doing well in school. I just struggled socially because I was a quiet girl because nobody wanted to talk to the nerd growing up. <laughs> but nerds are really cool. And so they have this whole community. But growing up, you know, just kind of, we were kind of like the outcast. And I also played instruments. So I was very active in the band. So that was all well and fine. But then I had my son at 19 years old. So I was already a mom and doing all of that by the time I was 20, 21. I met my abuser at 23. And so I literally lost like my entire 20s, Debbie, just because I was in that relationship. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, very hard, very difficult. During a time where I should have been learning more about myself and who I was and going through that process, it was everything but that I became who he wanted me to be. And I never really got to know Tamika until I would say I was about 35. And that's when I was already after that relationship. So that's how I kind of break up my life. My timeline is pre-domestic violence, post-domestic violence, and then where I am today. So during that relationship, how did you get through it? Did you have an escape? So we were together for almost 10 years. And I never, if the violence didn't escalate to the point that it had, I even today... I can't say that I would not have still been in it. I was very psychologically damaged and abused emotionally and verbally, you know? And so my self-esteem really took a hit. It was like in the toilet, so to speak. But once that violence really escalated to the point of where I was concerned about my life and whether or not I would continue to have one, I knew then when the moment presented itself for me to leave, I was never going back. And- how afraid was that? How terrifying was that? It was very terrifying. It was very terrifying, very scary. You know, he lived only 10 minutes away from me. So he would still do a lot of ride by uh, drive-bys, I should say. Mm. He would have his family and friends. I remember his mom would show up at my doorstep really late at night. Friends would just show up out of nowhere. Like they'd never come to my house before ever when we were dating and as soon as that relationship was over, then he, all of these people started coming by. I got out. My house was broken into several times. He was calling my boss and threatening. It was just this whole experience of being afraid to walk out of my door and really sort of feeling as though I was losing my mind because I just felt so unsettled and unsafe. I had code words for my son. I mean, it was just a really horrifying time leaving that. So you know, but it also helps me to understand why victims of domestic violence don't leave. Because that's really the time when most of them are killed is right yes. when they leave. So I'm very fortunate. I'm very blessed to be alive. I know that I wear being a survivor as a badge of honor because it truly is. Not many people are alive today to tell their stories, nor for those that are, do they have the courage to. But I'm grateful to be in a place where I can actually do both. What made him stop? What made them stop? What happened that... Or have they stopped? <laughs> you know, they have. Well, I moved away not too long after the relationship was over. I actually moved to a completely different side of town. So pretty much after that, I would see him just driving down the road, but it was nothing like when we were together. So that was okay. 
But, you know, what honestly made him stop is he got married. Mm. <laughs> he got married. He got married not too soon after our relationship was over. So I don't know if he was seeing her during the time that we were together or what happened with that. But he got probably. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably. And as a matter of fact, one of the times when we were when we had to go to court for a restraining order, she actually showed up with him. I just remember that whole experience. He was so, you know, I said he gave such an Oscar worthy performance of, you know, these big, big, you know, these really, you know, the big tears that we've had these really big tears. Oh, "Oh, your honor. I'm so sorry. And your honor, she's ruining my life and on and on and on. (laughs) I could not believe it. I was like, are you kidding me? But I knew Debbie, I knew as soon as that happened, that it was not going to go in my favor. It did not. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard. Like, I don't know when it, how, what year that was for you, but for me, there is no, there was really no legal protection. It was really, really difficult. It was. And I remember a magistrate judge telling me, you know, I was going to him. I had text messages and I had pictures of the, you know, incidents and assault and bruises. And he said, oh, that's not enough. You need to bring me a pattern of evidence. I said, sir, no offense. By the time I get a pattern of evidence, I could be dead. Yeah. So I'm like, so I just, the court system just was not kind to me. I was working for a domestic, a battered women's and children's program at the time. I knew the resources were available. I knew some of the court advocates and things like that. And I had them with me but it still did not work out to my favor. So I could not imagine being a woman who did not have that available to them and really what their experience was. So I was very fortunate in the sense that I wasn't alone, but the courts still weren't coming. I don't know if it's improved. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't seem to be. What I see in the news for sure. So, you know, I'm hoping that one day that changes. Domestic violence is just an issue that's really important to me just because of how it really impacts families, communities, and children. And so I am hoping that things do turn around eventually. And of course, what we're seeing, particularly with that Joni Depp trial, is that it's not just women that... Absolutely. But men, you know, you got that stigma as a man, you're afraid to step up. So... Because that macho thing, right? So nobody's going to believe you because of that, right? That's so true. That's so true. And that's always been my stance is violence, no matter how it's perpetrated, whether men or woman, it's still bad. It's not a good situation. Mm -hmm. And even right before I moved out of that industry, you were starting to see that behavior in young girls. Because they were growing up watching it. Young girls today are just so aggressive and so violent. I mean, just like you would imagine a young boy or a man to be. So it's, it's, you know, the tables are turning, doesn't seem to be in a positive direction, but the tables are definitely turning where we're starting to see more and more violence younger and younger and younger kids. I always learned that early that when you experience abuse, you do one of two, child abuse particular, you do one of two things. You either lash out and become the abuser or you withdraw and which means that you're more able to marry somebody that's like your abuser, uh, which we can all relate to. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I mean, it was just, I grew up in a home where my father was abusive to my mom 
And, you know, I was one of those people because I saw it. I was like, well, this is never going to be me. Like, I'm never going to be punched in the face or any of those things. And then there I was not too soon after becoming an adult, finding myself in my own situation. So it was really, it was a challenge and it was a cycle that I wanted to break. So I'm happy that with my son, I've broken that cycle. We had extensive conversations when he was coming up because he saw a lot and witnessed a lot with me that I really had to talk to him. Sure, he didn't want to hear that. That's not the most fun subject. But I was like, you cannot be abusive. If something is heated, you got to learn how to walk away and mind your words and all of those things. So I'm grateful that with him that I've broken that cycle, at least in my family, for sure. So what was your first job post-marriage? My first job was, actually, I had went back and finished my degree. My first one was working for a healthcare system. So my degree is in information technology. I do nothing with information technology. <laughs> Just one of those things. But like I said, I'm a self-starter, self-learner, quick learner, and I love it. It aggravates me sometimes, but I do love that feel. It's very challenging intellectually. I was actually got hired for a large hospital system where I, where I was a data specialist, which was great because my particular concentration in information technology was database administration. I loved the management side of pulling things together and reports and all of that. I got that great job. It was a huge, like $10,000 plus salary increase, lots of benefits. I could totally use my degree every day. Uh, and I actually had an opportunity to admit, to implement some policies and procedures to help design a system for the hospital because they had nothing electronic. Everything was paper form. That was just so great. I was there for about six years, but that was the job that led me into full-time entrepreneurship. That was the last job I had. Awesome. <laughs> so being an entrepreneur is not easy. And some people get into the game because they can't find anything else. They can't find any other work. So what brought you to decide to become an entrepreneur, become so I, your own boss? I'm, so I'm, because, because you can only have freedom or security. You can't have both. Right. That's the, the thought process. So I wrote my first book in 2011. Right after I wrote my first book, I actually was not thinking about helping people write books or doing anything in book publishing industry. I just wanted to tell my story of overcoming domestic violence and what that process was like for, to give people hope and advice and encouragement. And I did that. And, but over the course of the years, like with that first, maybe I was about 2013, I started getting inquiries about people who were interested in writing. They wanted to know how I did it, what my steps were, what my advice was. And I was like, I don't have any advice. I've only done this one time. I don't really know that I did it the right way. <laughs> it was very limited information. There was no one back then doing what I'm doing now. So I had to figure a lot on my own, but I started getting more inquiries. And then 2014, I launched it as a side hustle. And I was just like, well, maybe this is something special. I saw really a wide open opportunity for me to meet a need because I knew that that need existed, especially in South Carolina, where I'm from. So from 2014 to 2016, Debbie, I worked really hard of building my business, getting a consistent flow of clients. I even was selling out my program. Like it was just great. 
from 2016 to March 1st, 2017, I went probably double time. That's when I became a full-time entrepreneur, April the 1st of 2017. But I became laser focused on learning as much as I could about book publishing, about the business and trying to grow my business. It did an amazing job. It led me to saying, you know what? I think this is the moment for me to step out of corporate America, so to speak, and do this on my own. Were there moments where, I mean, you need perseverance to kind of carry it through, but were there moments where you kind of felt like mm, giving up because it got too hard? And that was not too soon after. I launched my business in February 2014 and literally April 2014, my dad passed away. So it was so hard. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot deal with losing my dad, starting this business. So I, there were a lot of moments where I questioned if I was doing the right thing, should I still contend? I mean, I just literally just made it public that I was doing something and then he passed away and it was so hard trying to navigate through his end of life, personal affairs, still trying to do a business, working a full-time job at the time because it was still a side hustle. So it was very challenging. But once I got through all of that and did everything that I was supposed to do in 2017, when I actually decided to do full-time entrepreneurship, within that first six months, my entire reserve was gone. All of the money that I saved up was gone. My clients were drying up. I didn't have as many people coming to me. So I, that first year, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm not supposed to be doing this. But you know what? I did persevere. I developed a really strong spirit of resilience and I just fought through whatever I had to fought through. And eventually it turns around. But if I would have quit during those first six months, I knew I still wouldn't be here. I don't think I would have tried it again. So yeah. it was important for me to keep going, especially when you're the first person in your family to try something like that. You don't really have a blueprint. You don't have shoes to step in. You got to figure it out. So I was like, okay, Tamika, either you're going to do this and I'm no quitter by any means. I just plugged away at it until I found a system that worked. And they think you're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They do. My mama for the long time did. Why don't you get a real job? I did. She didn't know what I did. <laughs> and of course, if like your father mm -hmm. is one thing and if you get hurt, like for me, when I was doing what you were doing, it, I had two really bad accidents, oh, which no. meant I couldn't. <laughs> and of course, you have no health. In, well, I'm in Canada. We have health insurance. But in the U.S., you have no yes. health insurance. You can't. If you got no income. Well, I guess you could have income if you live in a computer. But you know what oh, I mean? I know exactly it's a struggle because you can't do what you did. You have to heal. And That's true. yeah, entrepreneurship is not very friendly business. <laughs> no, it's not. And the thing also is that you're really alone in that space. Yes. Like you don't, it's just you, especially when you're first starting out. It's like, if you're not well, if you're not making any money, it's like, you are really struggling. You know what I'm saying? You don't have the additional financial support. Um, so it's hard. So you save as much as you think you're supposed to. I did all the things that they tell you to do. But I just reached a point to where when the clients weren't coming in and the money wasn't coming in, I was in trouble. 
Yeah. I was really in trouble. And not too soon after that, that's when I really lost my house. And I was homeless for a year because I just, I couldn't, it's like once I fell down, it was really, really hard to get back up. It is really hard. And plus you, it's hard to get a loan unless you go for one of those yeah. snake oil financial yeah. institutions <laughs> that charge you 30% interest yeah. because you can't prove your income. <laughs> yeah, no, you're exactly right. So I just, you know, again, I struggled. It was very hard. Like you're saying, entrepreneurship was not easy at all. It's not easy. And I know today with social media, you see everybody on private jets and they're flying all over the world. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're on all of these beautiful and amazing stages and they're waking up on the islands and you see all the shopping sprees. And I'm like, that is not real life. That no. is not <laughs> Your entrepreneurship at all, but so many people buy into what they see and yeah. they think it's all this glitz and glamour. And there are moments where it is, but then there's so many moments when it's not. And that's when you really find out what you're made of. And I found out very quickly that I'm a girl that, you know, I will do whatever I have to do to survive. But when I set a goal for myself, I'm going to work really, really hard to make sure I accomplish that. And that includes just doing whatever I have to do. And I think that in this book, that's one of the things that people are really going to see. Well, and also, yes, we're, we're, anybody listening to this is probably thinking, why the hell would you want to be an entrepreneur? Right. But on the <laughs> other side, the plus side is so plus because the freedom to pick and choose your hours, to do yeah. what you and, and not have a boss is really good. <laughs> and you know what the other thing is, is you realize, and this is something I learned early on, is that the success or the failure of your business, it rests with you. Yeah. I realized as an employee, I was great. I always met or exceeded expectations for annual evaluations, you know. But I also realized that I developed some bad habits as an entrepreneur early on. It's like I totally forgot what it meant to get up in the morning on time. Because I, like you said, I had the freedom to set my own schedule. Yeah. I was sleeping until 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, <laughs> 12 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm like, oh, there's no, you can't know. <laughs> By the time you get up, half the day is gone and you can't make connections and you can't meet people. And I'm like, so no. So I, that was a bad habit that I had to break. It was sucking at time management because I'm working on books. So a lot of that is timelines and deadlines. I had to really implement some systems early on, or it was really going to be a struggle for me. So it's everything when it comes to entrepreneurship, but it's a decision that I would not ever change. I would do choose this all over again, every single time, because it yeah. has been, in spite of the challenges, it's really been an amazing ride. So at what point did you know you were going to write this book? Oh my gosh. I was encouraged to write it in 2019 and I started on it. This is when Jay and I first started working together because I'd actually finished ghostwriting his project. And so he was like, oh, well now it's time for you to release a book. I had been in book publishing for eight years at that point. I fully dove into my business. My focus really became my clients. I was not concerned about me producing anything else. I was happy if I did not write any other book. But he was like, no, you need a book. You need a book in today's times. You need to tell your entrepreneurship story. 
It's a story that I've never told. I've told the domestic violence story. I'm a free giver of that story because I really do want to help people in those situations. But the entrepreneurship story, I never thought to tell because I didn't think that people would connect with me in that space. I knew that they would connect with me from the trauma because everybody's gone through something or another or they know someone. I honestly thought that that was the only story I had to tell. But he was like, no, he said, when he met me, Debbie, I had a broken computer that was really used for gaming, not used for business. I was using my cell phone predominantly. I was running my business off of a broken computer and a cell phone, helping clients all over the world. And he said, people need to hear that. People need to see that. So I was encouraged in 2019. I did not really start getting serious with writing it until probably six months ago. <laughs> so... Because I did not, I did not want to do it. I knew it was going to be challenging. <laughs> I knew it was going to be hard. But I finally just really bought into the idea. And I'm so pleased with the outcome. Oh, that's great. Yeah. And there is a vulnerability to writing, whether yeah. you're sharing, you know, you're sharing your, your deepest, darkest moments of your story. And where did that courage come from? Really just being a survivor, being a domestic violence survivor, you, I hit rock bottom in those moments. I self-medicated with alcohol and things in those moments. So I know the level of vulnerability and transparency. I know what it means to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I know what it means to have grit and tenacity and strength. And that's where that comes from. That's something that's innately in me. All I had to do was really put myself in a position to tap into that. And once I did that, the story and the words really started to flow. And it was still hard. It was still hard. Even though these are moments that have years passed, it was still hard recounting some of those stories and moments. Like one of those was I had an ectopic pregnancy. I had to have emergency surgery. Your face death in that situation because of the blood flowing in your bloodstream. That wasn't something I'd ever publicly shared. Now here, I'm putting myself in a space to share those kinds of stories while being an entrepreneur and trying to build a business. <laughs> so it's no cakewalk, but that's really where that strength and courage comes from. I know that my story is going to help somebody else. And at the end of the day, that's the, all the fuel that I need to my fire. So you've been spending most of the years helping other people be seen they have their stories be seen so now do you feel seen that's such a great question i do i do something really powerful to give language to situations and i think that as a writer and i'm sure you know this as well that that giving language to that seeing in black and white that putting pen to paper so you can forever ink your experiences and words to those that are going to come behind you. It's so, it's so powerful. And I do feel seen. I do know that there are other women, especially who have had the same experiences as me. Um, I know that when I'm sharing certain things about being a woman, that there is a community of women out there that can relate to that. That's very helpful. I also realize that in my process of writing that I'm helping someone else be seen. 
where I'm also giving language to their stories that they may never have the courage and the ability to share. Is that that process, it's just been great. And that's where the vulnerability comes from. Like, I'm not afraid to be transparent. I'm not afraid to let you know that it's not days filled with all highs. There have been some really significant lows in my life as well. But the beautiful thing is, is that I've been able to really pull myself out of that. And I'm so grateful that I have, that I'm even now surrounded by a wonderful community of people who love me and get me. That also helps me to be seen when you find your tribe, so to speak. So it's just really wonderful. It's just really wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) So who is your inspiration? Oh, who's my inspiration? I would have to say for the longest time, my answer to that question was my son, right? It was my son. He and I grew up together. I say that all the time. DJ and I grew up together. I was a young mom, you know, I'm 45, he's 25. So we were right there neck and neck trying to figure it out. But my other inspiration now, the more that I dig deeper into myself is I realize that I think it comes from me wanting to be a better person. It comes from me wanting to live an authentic life. And I have to say that I am my own sort of inspiration. I realize that there are aspirations and goals that I want to accomplish, but also that there are so many things that I have come out of. Whereas if I were any less of a person or a woman that mentally I would not have been able to handle that. So I see myself as a source of inspiration. Other women entrepreneurs out there really have a heart and a passion for women. I really do. I always want us to be better and striving to be our best selves so that we can show up for our families and do all of those things. So those are my pieces of inspiration. Where it once was solely my son is not that anymore. And that's just an honest answer. (laughs) I look at my life and where I've come from. I look at myself, but then I also look at those that I have a heart and a passion for. And they definitely helped me on those days as well. What is one word of advice you would have to somebody who is thinking about becoming an entrepreneur? My one word of advice is to love yourself enough to go for it. Because you never know if it's going to work out, if you never try, like you have to take the chance and you have to be willing to take the risk. Like that's what it is. Entrepreneurship is a big, big, big risk. You're risking your, your family. You're risking your time. You're risking your freedom. Cause you know, you think as an entrepreneur, you have more time freedom and you don't <laughs> You work that much harder, lot, double the time than when you were working in eight to five. So I would definitely say love yourself enough to go for it. If it's something that's been on your heart and burning and you have ideas that there's an opportunity, if you don't ever take the chance, you'll never know of whether or not this can truly change your life. So that that's my one word piece of advice. Tamika, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. <laughs>